I think that you are the sum of your thoughts. You are just a compilation of the things that you think about, that uh, the actions and the behaviors that you elicit, and the choices that you make. All of those have to do with your mindset. If you can remain calm in a crisis, if you can have better decision making, if you can learn better and have better focus, all of that comes from quote unquote mindset training. Now, the thing I would kind of like qualify that is you don't need to train it. Mm. You don't need to like do meditation. You don't need to do mindful. You can do those things and it's certainly very helpful in every, you know, Almost every high achiever will kind of say that they have some sort of practice in place for that. But the biggest thing is like awareness. Like just become aware of that voice inside your head and realize that you are in control of that. We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run, always chasing, never stopping. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence. How are you, Ben? Great. Thanks, Patrick. Today, we are going to do one of my favorite things, which is another two-minute drill. For those folks who are new, a two-minute drill is when um, I go through my Instagram DMs and I pick out good questions that people have sent me. So um, so thank you to everybody who sends us, sends us questions, sends me questions. Um, I will continue to, to pick through them to find um, good stuff to bring up to you on this podcast. Today... Um, um, as always, we're gonna we have a selection. I think we've got I don't know, twelve or thirteen questions, um, random but certainly within the scope of things we generally and normally talk about here. We should do one that's like actually random, like like, just like questions that have nothing nothing like to do with politics, personal finance, Ooh, politics. Be a t- <laughs> okay, maybe we should stick to this. <laughs> Favorite yeah. TV shows and uh, yeah, so I don't want, <laughs> yeah, we yeah, should yeah, do yeah. that. Okay. <laughs> Um, first question we've got is what is the best way to improve my strength in pull-ups? Okay. So a uh, quick cop-out answer is it depends, <laughs> right? Are you trying to improve from zero to one or yeah. are you trying to improve from 40 to yeah, 60? Exactly. But and, so, yeah, okay, go ahead. So let's, I'll just kind of give some quick ones for each of those. If the, if the goal is to like get from one to two and up to like five and maybe 10, uh, or maybe let's say, let's say like one to five. Um, some of the things that we've seen a lot of success with recently um, is negatives. Mm. And it f- kind of flies in the face of conden- conventional um, strength training principles because when I learned about exercise science, it was the eccentric portion of the movement, the, the lowering phase of the movement, did not build strength. Mm. It made you sore. Um, that's not true. Mm. Um, same thing, it would be kind of like, it makes sense, right? Like isometrics, like holding a position makes you strong. So why would just not like lowering through it? It's basically like a really slow yep. eccentric. I mean, it's really slow isometric. Um, they get they get you really strong and everybody can do them. So might be maybe an example this would be for somebody is um, pick like two or three days a week where you try and do um, 10 relatively slow eccentrics. You know, you're trying to go down, you're trying to make each one last uh, three to five seconds. And if you can do that, okay, then let's do it again. And let's actually try to like stop halfway and then go down. And then we'll bring that up to, can I do um, a couple of these in a row where I jump up, chin over the bar, come down very slowly and then jump up, chin over the bar and actually do sets. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to build up to that first one. 
Obviously, the other ways are like bands and ring rows and other things, but this is the movement. I like it a lot. Um, and I've seen it work fairly well. Um, we actually implemented this um, this past year and people started like getting their pull-ups. It was really cool. Um, if you're trying to get from, um, you know, 30 to 60, it's a stamina play. Mm-hmm. Um, in that case, it's about doing sets. One of the methods is like kind of like that grease the groove type thing. Yeah. Pick about 60% of your max best set. So let's say you can do, um, I'm trying to find real easy, quick numbers <laughs> in my head really, really quickly. 10. Let's say we can do, <laughs> let's say we can do 20. Okay. Yeah. okay. Let's say we can do we'll 20. Stretch. So yeah. um, we'd be doing like sets of 12. Yep. So do four, five, six sets of 12 with a measured break in between, or just try to get those in throughout the day. And that's a good way to build up that stamina. The next one is um, try to work it higher, but only a couple sets. Maybe we do like 75 to 80% of your one, but you're doing two to three sets. So in that case, we've been doing two or three sets of 15. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't think any of this is rocket science, yeah. but that's a really easy way to build up some stamina and or some strength for your first ones. You said maybe two or three times a week to do the uh, yep. eccentric, the grease the groove. Is that a daily thing? You know, try to do three or four times yeah, it depends a day. On what, uh, so again, like yeah, everything depends. here depends. So yep. it depends on what the goals this person are, what else they're doing for training. So if somebody's also doing like CrossFit every single day, yeah. or if this person's ultimate goal is to be a better, you know, uh, collegiate swimmer, yep. it's going to depend a lot. Okay. But if the goal is like, no, my goal is to be able to do 10 pull-ups, then you could probably be doing this three or four days a week. Right. Okay. Next question. How much do you think mindset training is important on a daily training routine or regimen? I think it's incredibly important. I think that you are the sum of your thoughts. You are just a compilation of the things that you think about, that uh, the actions and the behaviors that you elicit and the choices that you make. All of those have to do with your mindset. If you can remain calm in a crisis, if you can have better decision-making, if you can learn better and have better focus, all of that comes from quote-unquote mindset training. Now, the thing I would kind of like qualify that is you don't need to train it. Mm. You don't need to like do meditation. You don't need to do mindful. You can do those things. And it's certainly very helpful in every, you know, almost every high achiever will kind of say that they have some sort of practice in place for that. But the biggest thing is like awareness, like just become aware of that voice inside your head and realize that you are in control of that. There is this thing that's your thoughts. Well, no one else in the world hears those thoughts. They are not a definitive thing. You can choose whether to believe those or not. You can choose to reframe those in different ways. You can make certain decisions constantly and you should be. This is the thing like like mindset training, like forget about the training. Take it off the off mm-hmm. the cuz then people are like I have to carve out the time to do this. It is an always and an everything. It never goes away. Every time you're making a decision, you're reinforcing something. You're saying to yourself, I am the type of person that, and now you are either disciplined or undisciplined. I am the type of person that makes um, decisions because of my values or because of peer pressure. I am the, t- and you're constantly doing this. And if you're not, recognize that you are, and that's the first step yeah. to that mindful training. Yeah, the thing that's that's been helpful or useful to me is trying to think about it as in the sense of like, of trying to close the gap between a decision or a choice and the recognition of the choice. In other words, the closer those two things can be, the the more likely the next time a situation cool. is similar, you might make a better decision. But if I, but it might start, it might be 
honestly, it might be like the night after that you made a decision, you can look back and say, oh, okay, I recognize that I, I made a decision, yeah. there, a choice. Holy and cow. then the goal yeah. is then to like, truly like recognize it as it's happening, but that's hard. And that's, so that I think is the, is the key for people who- I've never thought of it like that. That's literally, that's what I'm doing now though, is like when, when you said that, I literally was thinking about like a time that um, I was kind of freaking out when my my kids were like toddlers and mm. in diapers and they were losing their minds. And it was causing me to, and it was causing me, and I'm aware of it in yeah. the moment. Like I'm like, I'm losing my mind right now. Yeah. And I and this is actually just like a thing, right? Yeah. I can reframe this, right? I can like choose to see this a different way and make a different decision. Yeah. I don't need to get frustrated right now. And yeah. if you can do that in real time, that's super cool that you pointed that out. That's probably where we're all trying to get across the board. And maybe, you know, the last time I did that was, you know, four or five years ago. My yeah. kids were toddlers, right. and that's why it's sticking out so much. Everything else has been a little bit of space with it. But it's almost like that. I say like champions have hindsight in the present moment. Yeah, exactly. Right? You can look back on it and be like, man, I wish I had made a better decision. I wish I hadn't like spent that six minutes arguing with the judge. And I wish I had just like done another rep. Right. Like it's so easy to fall back in this. But like that's what mental toughness is. That's what is like can you in the moment realize the pride or regret you'll have mm, from that. that decision right now? Yeah, that's great. Okay, next question. Uh, when your discipline and willpower go out the door, how do you stay on track or regain focus? Okay, good follow-up to that yeah. previous one. Um, so um, was it discipline or motivation? Is that what they said? Uh, discipline and willpower. So, okay, willpower, motivation, all that stuff. Like um, they don't exist. They're not, they're, they're fairy dust. They're not real. Everyone's searching for these magical things that are not going to help you. Mm. You can't wait for motivation. You can't wait for, you can't rely on willpower. It's environment and routines. Yeah. That's it. And that's what creates discipline is if you are in the right environment and have the right routines, no one like, no one lives the life of like an, an elite special force, like people in, maybe mine's like David Goggins or something like that, but like people in the elite special forces don't go home and live that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. They just don't. But because that's the routine, like the way that they make their bed and the way that, and the way with the hours they get up and the, the physical training that they do. And that's because of who they're with and the routines that they have. Yeah. If you are having a hard time following, let's say a, a workout program, like Stop doing it at a Globo gym. Stop doing it in your garage or your living room and walk into a CrossFit gym. From there, it's done. Mm -hmm. Like you're, you're done. Like that's it. You don't have to worry about the motivation, the dedication, the willpower because all you have to do is walk through the door and that environment will take care of itself. And then from there, you just have to build the routines and the habits of every day. And this is why I think, I love the saying of like 4.30 versus 4.30. I think it's Jocko, mm -hmm. but 4.30 a.m., like nobody is going to pull on you. Nobody. No one's going to be like, I, I, I'd like you to answer this phone call, this email, this text. I'd like you to jump into this meeting. I'd like you to drive the kids to school. I'd like to like, realize that you can own a certain time. 4.30 p.m., you're going to battle things a lot. Yeah. All of those distractions are pulling on you. So if it's a workout thing that you're having struggle sticking to, figure out that you need to do it before yeah. anybody else is pulling on you. And now you have this routine that you own. And all you have to do now is not hit the snooze button. Right. It comes down to one decision versus 40 or 50. Okay, I have this project. I need to answer these emails. I need to get back to the kids. I need to just like make it one choice. Mm -hmm. 
So CFNA should have like a four o'clock class. <laughs> um, this is theoretical, Patrick. <laughs> I'm on a podcast. I don't actually do these things. Uh, next question. How do, speaking of, how do you handle difficult athletes in class? Okay, so everybody has, you know, um, from a coaching or an affiliate owner perspective, everyone has one or two maybe people in their gym that when they walk in, you're like, ah, oh, crap, he's in my class. So I would throw the question back to you. What is the easy thing to do in that scenario? When that person walks through the door and you see him, you're like, ah, oh, crap, that member is in my class. What's the easiest thing to do in that scenario? The easiest thing would be to ignore them. Yes, exactly. You don't even like deal with it at all, right? That's for sure the easiest thing to do. When you do that, ignoring is a withdrawal from the emotional bank account, not of that athlete, but from the emotional bank account of your community. And every single day that you choose to ignore that athlete, your community, your culture, your tribe, your gym is getting worse and worse and worse. Because if you feel like that, so do probably the majority of other people in your gym feel like that. Mm -hmm. So what you need to do instead of taking the easy road of ignoring him, what might be the thing with greater integrity? Let's define it, right? Mm -hmm. Integrity is doing the right thing regardless. What would be the more right thing to do regardless with that athlete? When he walks in the gym, what might you do instead? Go directly to them. Yeah, go and talk to them. Yeah. Exactly. And I don't think the appropriate thing to do and the right thing to do at that time would be like, you know, like, hey, Mark, just to let you know, like, you're a real pain in the ass. People don't like in this class. What's yeah. the deal? Like, yeah. like, that's not the thing to do. That's too big of a withdrawal from yeah. the bank account. The thing to do is go after and just talk to them, engage them. Like, how was your weekend? Build a relationship, build some trust, yeah. put some deposits in the emotional bank account of that athlete. And then after you've done that, and I don't know, it depends on how skilled you are as a coach slash um, people EQ, mm -hmm. people smarts, mm -hmm. how fast you can build trust with that athlete. And after you build trust with that athlete, day, week, month, year, then you can have that hard conversation of like, you know, Patrick, just a heads up, like when you come in here, I know you love being here, but the vibe is that you personality, the, the body language you're giving off is that you don't like being here, man. Or you have that other conversation like, dude, you're like rubbing some people the wrong way. Yeah. Or like you're too loud when you grunt or you throwing the weights or your weight belt does not conduct like, but you don't do that on day one. So the, the, the short answer is don't ignore them. Don't confront them. Get them to trust you. And usually what happens is as you, they start to feel valued, the problems go away. Right. Because what they're really looking for is attention. Next question, what, uh, what is the coolest box you've ever visited? So for the two people who don't know what a box is, that is often <laughs> what, what we refer to as CrossFit gyms. Um, okay, I'm, I'm probably gonna, I'm probably not gonna get this because if I sat and really thought about it, well, two that pop in my head really quickly. Um, at the CrossFit Games this last year, we went to CrossFit Big Dane in Madison, Wisconsin. Big Dane, like D-A-N-E? Yeah, like the dog. Okay, cool. I hope I'm getting that right. Um, but it's huge. I mean, it was like cool. Was it, it was Great Dane? Great Dane. That's it. Yes, Great <laughs> that's Dane. A, that's the actual dog. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Great Dane. Great Dane's <laughs> a dog. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, but it was massive. It was huge. Yeah. It was cool. It was open. Um, it was really, I, th I thought that was a very cool gym. Mm -hmm. um, other one, kind of other end of the spectrum, was very small. But man, like we went to South Africa. Mm. We went to Farmhouse Fitness. Um, and it was this box on a farm um in south africa that does uh, a bit like vacation getaways total packages yep you go there you stay on the property they walk you and your five or six friends through the workouts they're for you it's this cool little box there's a cow that sometimes walks in I through remember the, those videos yeah. right it was super cool um 
they cook you meals. Yeah. Like that place was pretty, pretty dope. They should call it Air Clean and Jerk. Air so, Clean and Jerk? Yeah, instead of Airbnb, they should call oh, it Air yeah, Clean yeah, and Jerk. Okay. Yeah. That's a bad idea. But. <laughs> uh, next question. I'm over 40 and starting to struggle after heavy workouts or a two-hour basketball session. Uh, what can what can I do or what can we do to recover more quickly? And we've definitely done episodes on recovery. Yep. I yep. don't know that we've necessarily narrowed in on maybe that population. Yeah. Like yeah. if anything, is there is there something different more that they yeah. should be doing um, that maybe a 22-year-old either doesn't worry about or doesn't have to worry about as much? The answer to that is no. The only thing that changes is the importance of. Because if you're 22, you're like, I don't need to work about recovery. I remember um, reading a survey when I was a strength and conditioning coach of high school athletes and rank from one to 10 the most important things. It was like um, increased fit speed, increased fitness, increased strength, increased conditioning, increased mm -hmm abilities increase ability to recover ability to recover was the last on the list because yeah. they're interviewing high schoolers right. like but you interview like guys in their 60s and mm -hmm. they'll be the first one right because yep. they know that it dictates all the rest so it's just a matter of like it nothing changes in terms of the principles of recovery what changes is the magnitude of importance and effort you should put into it so the things to kind of real quickly because yeah. two minute drill yep. would be um the five factors mm -hmm. so what's your sleep what's your nutrition what's your mindset like you feel um what's your um how, how the other stresses in your life and your connections and all those type of things from there it's like let's take advantage of some of the other tools and tactics right like let's use like normatech sleeves let's mm -hmm. use like sport recovery lotions let's use um anything that we can to speed up blood flow or but the if i had to point on two things it would be to um maybe not two things but like the intensity the frequency and of of the workout yep. so are you working out too hard too often too long so intensity frequency and duration those are the kind of three big things in the workout and then post-workout it would be um sleep and nutrition those would be the biggest uh kind of like levers to pull on to to, to tweak your recoverability got it um, and like I said, we did do a whole episode on recovery. I so. think we, yeah, at least one. We're, yeah. Uh, next question. Where is the line between a coach who is still a coach and a coach who is becoming a good friend to that athlete? And then maybe a follow-up of, of, is there too far over the line yeah. in either direction? Um, this is every, every elite coach might have a different answer to this. If you ask Bill Belichick this, he'd have a very different <laughs> answer than I would. Yeah. Um, I would say the the closer of a friend you are to that athlete, the better of a coach you can be. Interesting. So um, I'm coaching individuals, so it's very different. If I was coaching a team, mm -hmm. I would be very, it would be a very, very different answer. I would not want to become very good close friends with any one individuals on that team because I'm coaching, my goal is to make the team better. Right. And I might need to do some really hard things that that athlete might not like and my decision of them being a friend might, but as yep. when I'm coaching individuals, it's very, very different. The more I can know and that person can trust back and forth, the better that's going to be. Now, if this isn't like me training Katrin or Cole or Brooke for trying to get the games, if it's me coaching people in my class, it's still the same thing. I would get to know that person as well as you possibly can. When you know they're in, like acquaintances say hi and talk about the weather. True friends talk about like fears and hopes mm -hmm. and dreams and well, if you're going to be, a, to knowing those things is only going to make you that much better of a coach. I would not draw the line anywhere up until the point like, if you guys start dating, like you're going to know them that much better. Like, mm -hmm. 
like I, I don't think there's anything wrong with coaches dating members. And that's, a, I know some gyms have that in place. Um, I think what you're doing there is you're making, you're putting a rule, a law in place that is eventually going to be broken. Mm. So why are you putting something in place that's going to be broken? If it's not, they're going to do it in secrecy and behind your back. Right. And now you're creating this level of untrust. It's like, yeah. Closer relationships, the better is my take. Got it. Any tips on staying on a routine after having kids, especially a newborn? I don't know if you, I don't know how you have another kid who isn't a newborn, but um, after you have kids. You, you, could, you could adopt. I guess you could adopt. You're right. Yeah. Um, what did what did you and Heather do to, to kind of retain a Okay, so a, I would say if you have, um, and you're not being a bad parent by doing this, but if you have the means, um, nanny, babysitter, daycare, in-laws, parents, like, Create the space for yourself. You're going to go insane. And everyone knows the correlation now between physical health and mental health. Mm. Being a young parent is so trying. There's so much struggle and learning and self-doubt and frustrations with it. It's like enough of this, like it's magical. It's amazing. It is, (laughs) but it's also freaking hard, right? You're a young parent. Like, you know, it's really hard. You creating that space for you to be a better, healthier human being, super like that could be the number one best thing you could do for your child. Yeah. So if you have the means, create the time the to pay the two hours or find the in-law or the friend or whatever that can watch the kid for the two hours. Maybe about two hours is like, yeah. you know, you gotta commute to the gym, you gotta warm up, you gotta yep. take the class, you yep. gotta shower, you gotta back, like that type of thing. Yep. Um, so two hours a day, get that done. If you don't have that. Um, what a lot of, and this is hits home because we have um, currently, um, I think we have three pregnant uh, people right now and we have f- three or four that just gave birth, like mm. within the last three months. Like we are yeah. like, there's something in the water here. <laughs> it's happening. Yep. <laughs> um, so what we have is like, we have them, they, um, these, the moms or the dads bring the infants into the gym yep. in their car seats and they put um, like earmuffs, like not yep. like snow earmuffs like yep. headphones like, yep. like blankets noise like canceling. noise canceling headphones yep. on the child and they put them and they that's really cool they sleep yeah and they um that's, that's what we did with bodies like we would actually put them in the car seat with the handle and it's the upper baby thing yeah and you pull them out of the car seat bring them in and we'd put them hang them on one of the handles of the ghd and they would kind of like rock <laughs> there amazing. back and forth a little yeah. bit and you walk by and you do a little tap and it would rock a little bit yeah and, um, I don't know if Heather mentioned it to you, but I sent her a text uh, recently because we're getting a bunch of questions about in this area. So I, I'm gonna I want to have Heather come on and have you guys talk cool. a little bit more deeply about the things that worked, both from your perspective and Anna as a coach, as a gym owner, but also her perspective is yeah. obviously somebody who's gone through it. The one thing that I would say, because as you mentioned, I'm I'm kind of in the thick of it, is the the turning point for me between being kind of in a bad place and being in a much better place is when I recognized that all of the rules and routines and things that I'd put in place before the baby couldn't be the same ones that I tried to jam back into life after the baby. And it's weird that that, it seems really obvious, Mm. but what I tried to do is like, okay, baby came and there's those few months of, you know, no sleep. And then I was like, all right, I'm back to the thing that worked two years ago when life was far less complicated, right? And so once I realized that, I was like, oh, okay, stop being an idiot and start recognizing that things are different, you have so to, you have to change. It, it totally. <laughs> it's not going... So don't think like, when can I go back to? Yeah. That's not And that's what I did ever. for a while. And it's I was, never and, happened. And I had months of being frustrated because I'd get close to it. I'd feel like I'd taste it and then it'd fall apart. And I'd, and, and then your like kid would be up all night again exactly. randomly when they're two years yeah, old. And exactly. you're like, and I feel, like yep. it's never going back. Yeah. 
So, so recognizing the reality yes. was, was important for me, if that's helpful at all. Next question. How do you make each of your athletes feel as if they are the most important person that you train? And this, this is, this feels not intentionally, this feels related to that, um, good friend to an athlete, but, mm. um, maybe mm. both, maybe two sides of this question. One, uh, the captain Coles and, yep. and Brooks, but also is that possible in, uh, in your class? Is that yeah. possible to feel, to make everybody feel, um, Okay. Really important. Yeah. So for the catch and cold and Brooks, people I have like really close yeah. relationships with and I talk a lot to, um, for them, one of the things that we do is, um, unless they ask, I don't ever talk about the other elite athletes. Mm. So, um, if I'm sending out, a, this is something I learned yeah, I, I, through pro, trial and error. Um, I used to send out, like if I had like a fa- cool quote I found, I would send a group text, group text. Yep. and that's not making them feel special. So now what I do is I send it to them and like now they are receiving something from me, not it's this bystander theory, right? right? Interesting. Which is like if you, um, if I send something to you, but I also send it to 30 people about this event that I'm having, not even event, I'm having people over for dinner and I say invite 20 people on a mass email. You're going to feel very different about that than if I say, hey, Patrick, on Tuesday, I know you're really busy and on Tuesday nights, you usually go to painting, right. but would you like to come over for a drink or whatever? It's very, very different. Yeah. So I try to eliminate that bystander effect yep. and um, make them feel special by always it's one and I don't talk about the other people. Uh, they might ask, they might say like, hey, what did Cole get on this yeah, workout? Yeah, yeah. And then I'll tell them, yep. but I don't go, hey, by the way, Cole got this on the workout or Cole's doing this today. Yeah. They might ask, what's Cole doing today? Got it. Um, just the 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 reason I think that it's called bystander is just this notion of if you ask twenty people to do something, they everybody's going to be like, yeah, it's not they'll, yeah, they'll yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah it's it's yeah. not a big deal. But if yeah. you ask the one person, they're not in a bad way, but they're kind of on a, on yeah. the hook to at least make a decision. Or, or you ask respond. twenty people for a ride for the airport, right. you're not going to get a ride for the right. airport. Yeah, you ask one person, and chances are you're the chances are better anyway. Better, yes. Yeah. Um, any any answer in the, to the the class? Yeah. So um, it's it's um, you're not going to make people in a class feel like as by default they're right. in a room with <laughs> twenty other around. people. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> um, but for um, for those people, one of the real quick uh, is we put it into a, one of our principles of of um, coaching is use people's names. Yeah. Yet, wh- like what a massive, massive difference because it's the same thing. Yeah. When you use someone's name and it's been tested, there are hormones inside that person's body that light up with feel goods. Basically what you're saying is like, you're important to mm-hmm. me. If I say Patrick, yeah. if I say like, like good job, 830 class, like good job, CrossFit New England. Good job guys, like keep working hard. Now, those are very different if I was to put your name in front or the end of any of those statements. Yeah. Like, So use people's names. And we actually mandate that every one of our coaches uses everybody's name in their class at least three times mm-hmm. in the class because we know the importance of that. So you can make everybody feel important, but as but you can't make anybody feel the most important. That's kind of the, the takeaway. From yeah. That. The other thing to do there is like give people a little bit of extra time that like you possibly can. Yeah. Right. So somebody asks a question. Yeah. You're busy and you got to answer these. But instead of kind of like looking around and trying to start the clock and trying to, um, you know, set up someone else's barbell while they're doing it, like stop, look them in the eye and listen. Don't respond with a quick little answer. Just listen. Now that can be you have to kind of weigh and measure that because mm-hmm. some people will talk for four or five minutes and you can't be talking to somebody for four or five right. minutes in the middle of a class. Right. So, but you want to make them feel important. Mm-hmm. All right. Next, the, the next one amuses me because only because I'm going to try to have you answer this in two minutes, which is impossible. What's the future of CrossFit? Doctors will prescribe it. Mm, good job. 
I didn't expect that. I love that. I'm not even going to touch that. Uh, have you ever thought of making a comp train team to win the games? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Am I allowed to ask a follow-up? Yes, or, you can. Um, you've thought about it, but you haven't clearly acted on it. Is that yes. a future plan? It's it's something that uh, has been talked. And what, what are the pros and cons of doing that? Like, wh why haven't you maybe, and, and why would you in the future? Um, well, there's two things in that. Would, if you talk about making a uh, comp train team yep. and then said to win. To the, win the game. Well, so I, that's yeah. outside my control. So I, <laughs> as long as Rich Froney is yes. on a team, that might not happen. Dude is legit. Like, yeah. um, you know, in the last, uh, since 2000 and when did he come on the scene? 10 or 9? 10. Nine. Nine ten? was Aromas. Ten was the first year at the. Stuff he up. has finished in first or second place every single year for ten years running. Yeah, not bad. Put that like in perspective. Like <laughs> ten years, and people are like, well, part of that's on a team. It's harder to do that on a team because you have to rely on other athletes. Yeah, it's easier when it's just you. Now you got to recruit and train and develop a team and communication. Yeah. Like, yeah, insane. So yeah. tangent. Yeah, uh, <laughs> um, but. Um, Pros are you get to have a team at the games. It would be yeah. fun to watch and root for, and it would bring a lot of awareness to comp train. And um, the downside is uh, get it, want it, capacity to do it, right? It's what we talk about with all these things. It's like, I get it. I, I know how to train a team. I've coached a team that's won the games, so mm -hmm. I know what goes into that. Do I have the capacity to do that right now? Probably not. Mm -hmm. Not at the expense of something else. Because I don't have the bandwidth to commit to the hours that it would take to coach a team right now. And this yeah. is what's holding us back. To right the now. degree there, to, yep. to the level that you know that you should. And do I want it? I don't know hmm. right now. Yeah. So awesome. until I get it, want it, have capacity to do it, the answer should continue to be a no. Yeah. Last question I've got. You talk about always having feedback for coaches after each class. My question is, how do you find a critique, a critique every day? Our coaches struggle with this, and honestly, I do too. It leads to a lot of, it was a great class, you did this well, et cetera. Yeah. So it ends up being, cool. I think, the sense of like, I'm trying to give you a critique, but I don't have anything of substance yeah. to give you. Um, well, I love that question. Okay, so I love that question, and the answer might be a little bit different than this person's thinking about. It's, um, you're not an expert yet. Mm. So... If I was to listen to someone playing classical violin and they were fairly competent and they got done and they said, what do you think? I'd yeah. be like, dude, that was pretty good. <laughs> like, that's a good job. Right. Like, wow, you did a nice job with that. But if I was, you know, the conductor of the, of the Boston Pops yep. and someone said, what do you think? I'd probably have a whole bunch of things that I could give them feedback on. Yeah. Now, I don't know any, I can't even give a good analogy <laughs> to what that might <laughs> right. be. But let's say, even if you have some semblance, right? Like, yeah. let's say... You go out to eat at a restaurant and at the end of the meal, you're, someone asks you like, what could they have done? The restaurant, the waiter, the server, what could they have done to make that better? I don't think many people would go like, well, I think that was, they did basically as good as they could. Mm -hmm. they, they could have served the food faster. They could have smiled when we walked in the door. The music could have been louder or softer. The steak could have been cooked better. The... Water could have been refilled more free. Like the list is just like, I mean, yep. the silverware could have been set better. Like the list is infinite. Now that's just because you're not an expert on fine dining, right. but you're paying attention. My take on that answer is the person that's asking that, and this might be hard to hear, they're not paying attention. Mm -hmm. They don't care enough about the excellence of their product and service. If you really 
cared about your product service, you would dig into every aspect of that to the point of like, what is the facial expressions the coach is using when they're meeting and greeting the athletes? Are they making eye contact too much? Are they mm. intimidating the people? Mm. Or are they not making it at all? Are they kind of flutter-eyed and scatterbrained? Are they, is their tonality appropriate? Or are they have a shrilly voice? Or are they having a hard time being big? Yep. Like, I mean, the, the list goes on for literally forever. It's an infinite, and I'm not exaggerating that, it is an infinite list of things that you could give that coach critique on, on what they could improve on. And there is no such thing as a perfect class. So after every single class, it should not be, which I give them feedback on, it should be like, of these dozen things, which one am I going Which to? one would be the most meaningful and impactful at this moment? Love it. Thank you to everybody who sends me questions. I will continue to go through them and uh, throw them at Ben at the appropriate time. Thank you, Ben. Thanks, Patrick. See you next time. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening.